Um, Tonight, we're going to be continuing our series in the book of James, uh, and we're going to be looking at the danger of a disordered heart. And we're going to look at the link between wisdom, our hearts, and our lives. So if you turn to page 1215, we're in James chapter 3, and we're going to start reading at verse 13. Here we go. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Shall we pray as we begin? Um, As I was um, praying in and preparing for tonight. I just got the sense that a few of us at the start of the evening just need to know that we are loved. Um, That the greatest reminder and revelation that that some of us need is is that God loves you. That you are loved without condition, loved without limits. And so God, I just pray tonight that as I speak and throughout the rest of the evening that you just be reminding each one of us of that, that love that you have for us. That you'd be reminding us that regardless of what we have thought, said, or done, in these past few days, that you still reach out for us in your mercy. And God, I pray that as we open up your word now, that that I would be speaking your word, your truth in love, and that my words would fall away, and what we'd see and what we'd remember is you and you alone. Amen. So tonight we're looking at wisdom. We're looking at the heart, we're looking at wisdom. And these two things are really tangled up together. Wisdom feeds our hearts, and our hearts reveal that wisdom to others. Our hearts are affected by the wisdom that we let into them, and that in turn is the wisdom that comes out in our words and our actions. What you believe is how you behave. The wisdom that you hold on to is the wisdom that you live out. And this is basically just the crux of what we're going to be talking about all evening. What is the wisdom that you are letting into your heart? And what is the fruit of that wisdom in your life. And before we jump fully into this, I just want to clarify that we're talking about wisdom and not knowledge. We're not thinking about the facts, but we're thinking about the discernment that goes with that. If knowledge is knowing that tomato is a fruit, wisdom is knowing not to put it in that fruit salad. (laughs) And we're not talking about wisdom as if it's from an educational or an academic perspective. We're not talking about qualifications, we're not talking about school or university. But what we are talking about is how our society and how our culture is moving now towards this idea that every thought, every idea, every opinion is true, is right, and is acceptable. I think this, therefore I am right, and this is an acceptable opinion. And it's got to the stage now where we all have to affirm each and every worldview or else we'll be vilified, just because I don't think that your truth is actually true. 
And that's led us to this, this time that's being called the post-truth era, where there are so many truths out there that no one is really sure what truth is anymore. And that's left us in this place where any decision that we can make about how we might live our lives is, in the eyes of the world, a wise decision. But how can everything be a wise decision? Surely the, the decision to get drunk, to stop us worrying about work, isn't the wisest decision. Or the decision to sleep around to fill our deepest desire for acceptance isn't the wisest decision. So we come to the question that James asks at the start of the passage tonight. When you look back to verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? Who is actually wise? That question immediately deflates the idea that everything could be a wise choice and decision. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Sounds easy enough, doesn't it? Just live a good life, be a bit humble, do some good stuff. That'll tick the boxes I need to say that I'm a wise Christian. But as we've already seen in our series in the book of James, James is going to say, no, no, that's not it. And James is saying that it's not the problem isn't that we don't have enough wisdom. That's never the problem for us. We're in this world where there is an abundance of wisdom. No, but James is asking, where is your wisdom coming from? And he goes on to say that there's two types of wisdom. And think about those two escalators that we keep talking about in this series. These are the two types of wisdom. I like the two escalators. Earthly wisdom on one side and heavenly wisdom on the other. And they are two very different types of wisdom. Earthly wisdom is what the world shows us and heavenly wisdom is what Jesus shows us. And James' challenge is not where are all your different bits of wisdom coming from? It's not just that. But more importantly, it's this. Are you single-minded in your wisdom? Do you have two feet on the heavenly wisdom escalator? And as you might expect, James is not going to hold back in the way that he describes and contrasts these two types of wisdoms. So when we dive straight in and look at earthly wisdom, read with me from verse 14. Have a look back there. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. So that's the first thing for us tonight. Earthly wisdom is demonic. James says that this is not wisdom from heaven, but this is the wisdom of the earth. It's demonic. It's a nice start, isn't it? But James says that this is a real and live issue for Christians. We can fall into taking our wisdom from demons that are working in this world because what they're offering can often be so appealing. It can look like popularity or success or comfort or money or sex or power, all in the wrong things. And it's particularly an issue for the Christians that James was writing to who thought that they they had everything together. But in reality, they were holding on to earthly wisdom, to this wisdom from demons. Now, recently, I've been reading C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters, and I found that the way it's written is just a really helpful way of understanding this a bit, to understanding earthly and demonic wisdom. Um, If you've read it, you'll know that it's um, it's basically a series of letters from a demon called Screwtape to his protege, Wormwood. And um, Wormwood is trying to teach, uh, Screwtape is trying to teach Wormwood how to tempt Christians away from God into lives of sin, pain, and addiction. 
And throughout the letters, they talk about uh, the demonic wisdom which they are feeding to their patient, who's this Christian. And it's demonic wisdom about doubts, about questioning faith, about finances, about romantic relationships, about sexual desires, and everything that each one of us struggles with. And one thing that's just really struck me in the way that, uh, that Screwtape works is there's just real subtlety. He never signposts to the patient that what, what he's doing is, is feeding him demonic wisdom. But they spend the whole time tricking him and tricking him into believing that they hold the most natural, the most obvious, the most sensible, the most exciting, and the most truthful wisdom. And it's that subtlety that I just find so terrifying, and I hope you do too. It's so easy to fall into the wisdom of this world without even realizing it. Sometimes it's not even a conscious decision. We can just become so sanitized to the wisdom of this world that we can see everything as true and good. And James gives two examples for us of what this earthly wisdom looks like. If you look back to verse 14, these things must have been rife in the churches he was writing to, and their bitter envy and selfish ambition. We can all relate to those things, can't we? We all know what it's like to be envious of someone else and to have ambitions for our own success above others. Now, I'm one of five brothers. I'm number two in the pecking order, um, and I'm just 13 months younger than my older brother, Paddy. And growing up, we were basically twins. Uh, Mum would always dress us the same. There's a nice photo of us playing somewhere. It's very sweet. Um, we'd have the same interests of sport and music, and we'd, we'd just tend to do everything together. But as I grew up, I, I started to feel like I was growing up in my brother's shadow, him being the older one that got to go and do all the exciting things first, that got to go and delight my parents in ways that I wasn't able to because of my age, before I had the chance to, to give all these things a go. And what happened is I began to get envious. I began to start to, start to harbor this bitter envy inside me. And it brewed inside me. And, and it got to the stage where I really felt that our relationship was, was quite strained. I don't know if he realizes. We were chatting about it um, earlier today, and he had no idea. And I'm not sure I had any idea at the time either. And looking back, I can see that I really held on to it for quite a long time. And I really struggled with that for most of my teenage years. And it really fed my ambitions um, to be better than him. And it was a really selfish ambition. I just wanted to be better than him, like nothing else. And that's not very healthy, is it? I can say now that I, I don't struggle with that anymore. I love Paddy lots. Um, I was his best man a couple of years back. He was mine last year. We get on great. But it's something that I do still have to check myself on regularly, and just so it doesn't eat away at our relationship. And one thing that I'd done in that process that, that James says is, is something that is a real issue is that I'd harbored those feelings. I'd held on to them. These feelings of bitter envy and selfish ambition. When we hold on to them and when we let them grow and fester in our hearts, it is so dangerous. When we boast about them, we choose to make them a bigger thing in our lives than Jesus. When we deny that we feel these things, we actually give those feelings permission to stay deep down among us. And we let them simmer away under the surface. And it's so easy to do that because it's so easy just to obsess over ourselves that's the biggest pull of earthly wisdom. It's all about me. Earthly wisdom is all about my personal gain. 
It's all about you. It's all about me. It's all about our kingdoms and not God's kingdom. And then earthly wisdom, it brings disorder. That's what happens out of that. Look at verse 16. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. When our hearts are disordered, we make ourselves more important than Jesus. And that just can't be the right way around, can it? Um, a guy that we've been quoting a lot recently is a guy called Mark Sayers. He's the pastor of a church over in Melbourne in Australia. Um, and he said this about the way that earthly wisdom is affecting Christians and Christian faith um, nowadays. It's going to come up on the screen. So Mark Sayers says this. He says, earthly wisdom does not challenge our faith head on in a kind of apologetics debate. Rather, it uses soft power, offering a continual background hum of options and incentives which eat away at our commitments. We are offered the mirage that we can have community without commitment, faith without discipleship, and the kingdom without the king. To steal and misquote Eliot's line, our faith doesn't disappear with a bang, but with a whimper. That's the danger of a disordered heart, that our faith disappears with a whimper. We don't see it going. We'll mix earthly wisdom with our faith in Jesus, and eventually my kingdom pushes Jesus' kingdom out of my heart. Our bitter envy, our selfish ambition, it brings about disorder and every evil practice. And our faith just fades away and disappears into the background. With earthly wisdom, we're fed lies about who we are. We're fed lies about who we need to be. We're told we need to be independent and not dependent on Jesus as we know we should be. In fact, earthly wisdom leads to every danger that we have seen so far in James's letter. Earthly wisdom leads to double-mindedness. It leads to deception, to discrimination. It leads to a divided tongue. And at the end, it leads to dead faith. Why don't you just flick back a page um, to the start of uh, James's letter. Chapter 1, verse 13. Chapter 1, verse 13. Uh, For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Earthly wisdom leads to death. We can all be tempted away by evil desires that are fueled by earthly wisdom. However desirably earthly wisdom is packaged, it's not of God. It is unspiritual, it's demonic. And if we let it, it will give birth to death, It'll give birth to our spiritual death. And that's quite a scary thought. But there is some hope. Earthly wisdom is not the only kind of wisdom. Look back to chapter 3, verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. There's the hope. We have access to wisdom that comes from heaven. In James chapter 1, verse 5, uh, James writes, If any of you lacks wisdom, if any of you lacks heavenly wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Heavenly wisdom is God-given. When we ask God for wisdom, this is the wisdom that he will bless us with. It's the wisdom that Jesus lived out. At the end of the day, Jesus is the ultimate example of what it looks like to live out this heavenly wisdom. And it's wisdom that is pure. It's single-minded. It's not tainted by evil practices. It's wisdom that is peace-loving and considerate. 
It's not out to hurt or embarrass others. It's wisdom that is submissive. It's not naive about the world, but it humbly serves others. And it's wisdom that is full of mercy and good fruit. It's not 50-50 about it. It's full of mercy. It's full of good fruit. And the fruit that it brings, therefore, can't be temporary, but it must be long-lasting. It's lifelong. So heavenly wisdom produces long-lasting fruit. I don't know if you remember a couple of weeks ago um, when Jamie spoke. He talked about this apple tree, this image. And he said that you can tell the state of a tree by the fruit that it's producing. A tree that is alive and well produces apples, but a dead tree doesn't. And, and just before the 6 p.m. service that day, um, there were about 20 of us gathering to pray for the service. And um, one person who hadn't heard Jamie's sermon earlier in the day, um, so didn't know what he was going to say, um, as we were praying, he said that he felt like God had given him an image. He felt like God had given him an image of an apple tree. But it wasn't a normal apple tree. No, the apples had been hung on by a piece of string. And guess what? After a while, those apples, they shrivel and die. The heavenly wisdom that God gives to us, that God freely gives to us, isn't like that. You don't have to go out and tie dead fruit onto the tree. No, heavenly wisdom grows in us when we are alive in Jesus, and it produces long-lasting fruit in our lives. And then heavenly wisdom is impartial. It doesn't hold anything against anyone. It doesn't show favoritism. It doesn't discriminate. And it's sincere. It's single-minded, and it's true to its word. In fact, the root for the word sincere that James uses here is actually the same root of the word that he uses for single-minded earlier on in the book. Sincere, single-minded. Heavenly wisdom is single-minded on Jesus. And what's the outcome of heavenly wisdom? Heavenly wisdom leads to a transformed life. It can't just be something we know of and we understand. It changes how we live. There's a humility that comes from this wisdom that is unquestionable, that is self-sacrificing for the good of everyone around us. And we need to show that to everyone. James says it's deeds done in humility. Now, someone sent me uh, this photo this week, and I found it such a helpful illustration of um, what, the point, what is the point of having wisdom if you're not clearly sharing it with others. Um, yeah, we shouldn't hide the fruit of our wisdom. Our transformed life should show the fruit to others. It should draw others in to the love of Jesus. And what is, what is the fruit then of this wisdom? Um, when you look to verse 18, to the end of the passage today, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. This verse is really cool. Um, I had no idea what it meant when I first looked at it. Um, but as I've kind of unpacked it, I've noticed there's, there's four things in it for us. There's two two things that we need to do that God um, tells us, and there's two things that God promises to do with it. So we need to be peacemakers, not just moral peacemakers, but Christians who live out the peace of Christ. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. That's part of our identity. As children of God, we are to be peacemakers. And then we need to sow in peace. It's a continual action, and it's just the beginning of a process. It's not sow in peace and then grow that peace in others. No, it's just sow in peace. Show the peace in your life to others. Sow it into their lives. And that's because it's God's promise 
that he will grow. While we sow, God will grow. It's implicit in the verse. He will grow that peace in others. And then God promises that he will reap a harvest of righteousness. And that harvest of righteousness is all those people who will come to know him through that. All the people, all the new believers who will receive the righteousness of Jesus as they come to faith. Why don't you just flick over to the end of the uh, letter, to James, letter by James. Uh, chapter 5, verse 19. And James writes this. James says, If one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. That is the harvest of righteousness that God um, promises. And it's all about bringing people into God's kingdom. It's all about God's kingdom and not our kingdom. So you want to know if someone is wise? Don't look at their qualifications. Don't look at their handwriting. Look at their life. Look at the spiritual fruit that's being grown in their life. The spiritual fruit that comes from heavenly wisdom. And I guess now the question for us tonight is, am I single-minded in that wisdom? Are we single-minded in that wisdom? It'd be quite easy for me to finish the talk here and say, let's all be single-minded in our wisdom. And then you all go, yeah. And, and then that's it. But the reality is, the second that this service finishes, even right now, the world is going to try and pollute our hearts by throwing earthly wisdom at it. Remember what James says at the end of chapter 1. He says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And so because the world is going to try and pollute us, we need to actively be growing in heavenly wisdom. It's part of our discipleship. It's part of our daily renewing of our minds into the likeness of Jesus But discipleship can't just be an increase of knowledge and wisdom. You can't just hear this sermon and then, that's all good, and you can tick the box, my heart has been reordered. No, true discipleship means daily transformation. And we need to want that transformation as well. Let's face it, here in Clapham, we're right at the center of the most comfortable middle-class London lifestyle, aren't we? We couldn't be more comfortable if we tried. There's more brunch places than homeless shelters. There's more hairdressers than health clinics. There's more exercise classes than schools. We can be so comfortable here that we don't want to be transformed in case it disturbs our comfortable and convenient life. It's that sad truth that Mark Sayers said in that quote earlier, isn't it? We want the kingdom, but we don't necessarily want the king. We could do without the hassle of changing our habits We could do without the hassle of changing our routines. We prefer to hide away and let bitter envy and selfish ambition bubble and simmer away in our hearts. We like that we just need to believe to be saved. That's enough for us. We like being Christians without having to deal with Christ in our everyday. We like seeing God move and hearing amazing testimonies of God working in other people. But we don't want to disturb our lives and see that in our own every day. And that's earthly wisdom eating away at us, eating away at our discipleship. We want that faith without discipleship, as Mark Sayers said. What you believe is how you behave. How many of us just fall into believing earthly wisdom? 
It might not necessarily be our fault, but how many of us fall into that? I know I do. But in heavenly wisdom, we become single-minded on Jesus. We learn to be like him, to have the humility that comes from wisdom, as James says in this passage. I wonder if you noticed all the parallels um, between the heavenly wisdom that, that James describes um, and that passage that you often hear read at weddings um, in 1 Corinthians 13 about love. The love in that passage is the outworking of heavenly wisdom. I'm going to read it now and try hearing heavenly wisdom whenever love is mentioned. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. Does that sound like you and your life at the moment? Are you living in uh, this heavenly wisdom? Are you living in this kind of love? So, so where does this transformation need to happen for you today? Where do you need your heart to be reordered? Where do you need to remove the disorder? Where do you need to put Jesus back on top and bring heavenly wisdom into your heart? And as I was preparing uh, this sermon, there were, there were three areas of life that hopefully we can all kind of grapple with that, um, that are places that I really felt challenged to mention places where we really need to be pursuing heavenly wisdom because they're places where earthly wisdom creeps in so quickly and so slyly. And these three places are our workplaces, our church community right here, right now, and our own relationship with God. Our workplaces are often the most challenging environments uh, for selfish ambition, aren't they? There's the pull of that promotion. What do I need to do to get that promotion? There's the pull of that pay rise. What do I need to do to get more money. And there's also the bitter envy when when someone else gets that promotion, when someone else gets that pay rise that you wanted. How easy is it to hold on to that envy and let it stew inside you in your workplace? We get so caught up on what could be for us in our workplaces rather than what could be for Christ in our workplaces. And how about here, right now? How about our church community? Isn't the comparison game so horrible at church? It's so easy to become envious of others who seem more holy, who get to stand on this stage, who seem to hear from God more than you do. I struggle with that. I've been through a season recently where I don't really think I've heard God at all for a couple of months. Comparison kills, so we need to kill comparison in our church family. We need to be peace-loving and considerate to everyone, to those on the fringes as much as those in the core of our community. We need to come to church to build God's kingdom and not my kingdom and not your kingdom. We're here to see God's kingdom being built here at HTC. And then how about your own relationships with Jesus? Which escalator are you on right now? It's easy to say we're on the heavenly wisdom escalator, but let's face it, we're not always. Do we just go to God as a last resort with a list of things that we need to build our kingdom? Or do we ask him how he is building his kingdom every day in our lives? What I was saying before about being too comfortable, that's something that really rings true with me at the moment. 
Um, Hannah and I were talking about this before, and um, we've got quite a comfortable and convenient lifestyle at the moment. Um, and it's just really easy for us to ignore the opportunity to ask God to transform us. And I know that's something that I'm going to ask for prayer for later as well. But as we ignore that opportunity, are we building our kingdom or are we building God's kingdom? Um, someone who must have been challenged by lots of these things was James. James, the writer of this letter. James was the half-brother of Jesus. He grew up watching and witnessing everything that Jesus did. He saw this heavenly wisdom in action every day. Can you imagine the bitter envy that was brewing in him? He was the younger brother to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the perfect man. Can you imagine what that was like? Oh, look, it's Jesus attracting all the crowds again. Jesus turning water into wine. Jesus giving sight to the blind. Jesus raising people from the dead. So when we read this letter, and we see that James is totally for Jesus, we know that these these aren't some half-hearted suggestions. He's been through this process of ridding himself of bitter envy and selfish ambition. He's come to believe that Jesus is Lord. Jesus, who must have been the bane of his life for so so much of it. And he's come to fully put his trust in him and let himself be transformed by the Holy Spirit. These qualities of heavenly wisdom that he gives us here, this is what he saw Jesus be and Jesus do every day. So that's what we must do too. Just as James spent time knowing Jesus, that's what we need to do. That's how we're going to receive transformation we become like the people we spend time with. And if we want to become more like Jesus, we need to spend time with Jesus. So the place where we should come to find this wisdom is right here, right here in the Bible. This is God's heavenly wisdom given for us. It is God speaking directly to you and to me in every word. We've got to let it have authority over us. We've got to let its wisdom change us and not judge it with our wisdom. And I know, I know it's easy for me to come up here and say, read your Bible, pray. But, but are we? I know I don't always. I know I need to get back in the habit of, of praying daily. And one analogy that I found really helpful in thinking about this is Mary and Martha. When Jesus turned up at their house and offered his heavenly wisdom to them, there were two very different reactions. Are you being like Martha? Are you keeping yourself busy with everything else that you possibly can be that life throws in your direction? Or are you being like Mary? Are you sitting at the feet of Jesus? Are you listening to him? Are you being transformed by him and his truth and his heavenly wisdom? Tonight, we all have a decision to make. A decision of of how we respond, a decision of whether we ask for that transformation in our lives. Are we going to ignore the opportunity to get to know Jesus better, to get to know that wisdom that comes from heaven? Or are we going to ask God to reorder our hearts and transform us with all of his heavenly wisdom? Should we pray? God, we thank you for your word. 
We thank you for the challenge it brings and the comfort that we can know in it. We thank you that, that your wisdom that comes from heaven is freely available to each one of us. Thank you for the way that you share it to us in the life of Jesus. Thank you that we have opportunities to sit at his feet, to hear from him, to talk to him, to learn from him. Help us to become more like him. Help us to live with hearts that are pure, hearts that are peace-loving, hearts that are considerate, hearts that are submissive, hearts that are full of mercy and good fruit, hearts that are impartial, hearts that are sincere. Jesus, we ask you that you would teach us to be peacemakers. Teach us to be peacemakers who sow in your peace so that others come to know you through that. God, would you be growing your kingdom in us and through us? And God, where we felt challenged tonight, God, where things that I said may have made us uncomfortable, God, I just pray that you'd help each one of us to, to see you in those things. May my words fall away. May, may we see you. Would you give us boldness um, to ask, ask you to transform our hearts? Would you give us boldness um, to seek your heavenly wisdom in every aspect of our lives? And God, I ask tonight, particularly for those of us that struggle at the moment with bitter envy and selfish ambition, that you'd, be, you'd just be highlighting that to us now. And God, where we, where we might be aware of that in our lives, would you just bless us with the knowledge of your peace? May we know your peace that passes all understanding. May we know that there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Because in him, the spirit who gives life sets us free. God, would you just be setting us free now from any earthly wisdom that um, may be holding us down? God, I just pray now that you'd be speaking to each one of us. God, would you just be highlighting that area of our lives where, where we need to see your heavenly wisdom break in? God, would, would you share us where, where, where we have been the king in our lives and where we need you to be king again? And God, we thank you that it is by your grace and it's in your love that you, that you do that.